Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show about the New York Giants, New York Mets, movies, TV, comedy, and a whole lot more. It's hosted by a giant mess. That's me, the real sense, Neil Lynch. I'm a plump and furry Irish-Italian-American who graduated from a Catholic high school but isn't Catholic and went to a college known for producing doctors and lacrosse players and then became neither. Hmm. Uh, so what am, who am I? What am I now? I'm a blogger, blogger, podcaster, writer, editor, video optimizer, content strategist, and a uh, very, very failed stand-up comedian. Super failed there. Uh, you can leave a voicemail. Did you know? D-Y-K. It's uh, 862-B-I-T-1986. That's 862-B-I-T-1986. For Giants and Mets fans, that should be a very easy last four digits to remember. You can subscribe to me on YouTube. You can do a search for Real Cinch, R-E-A-L-C-I-N-C-H, or Giant Mess. Uh, visit my blog at neilinch.com. That's N-E-A-L-L-Y-N-C-H. Or hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash giant mess. I'm also Real Cinch on Twitter and, and the gram, as they say. Subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So what's up? For this week's episode, for today's episode, we're going to be reviewing the comic book superhero flick Bloodshot, starring Vin Diesel. Um, we'll also be reviewing the sci-fi, little sci-fi movie called Archive, starring Theo James. Um, women probably know who he is, because he's hot. Guys probably don't know him. Uh, we'll also talk about the first week of Mets baseball. It's in the books. We'll recap the start of the season. Look forward to what's ahead give my knee-jerk assessment to what's going on. And then we'll finish up with the Giants. Algic Rosas, he gone. DeAndre Baker on the exempt list. Nate Solder has opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID. And uh, there are some more PFF rankings that um, you're probably not going to like as a Giants fan. But this week, we'll be doing the secondary running backs and quarterbacks. So let's get started, y'all. Not a whole lot going on in the life department. Uh, we've been eating a lot of fast food lately, and that has been due to the fact that, um, I am a deadbeat dad and a, uh, a a poor excuse for a husband. And my wife has been working, burning that midnight oil, working hard for that money, working hard for it, honey, you know, really, if you think about it and, uh, working late nights, I don't even, I don't think she sleeps with me anymore. I think she sleeps down here because she doesn't want to disturb my slumber. God bless her. But uh, yeah, she's working real hard, and that means that things start to fall to shit because I, <laughs> I don't pick up the slack like I should. So a lot of fast food, Taco Bell, McDonald's tonight. Taco Bell is interesting. Um, I got so much food, and it was 20, 20 bucks. It was, it was just like, it was six things for 20 bucks. Cheese quesadilla, chalupa, Cheesy Gordita Crunch, Crunchwrap Supreme, Beefy Five Layer Burrito. Was that it? And a steak quesarito. Six goddamn things for 20 bucks. And you wonder why Taco Bell is so damn popular. I mean, I probably was putting, uh, you're putting, I mean, I, I assume, for some reason in my head, I think it's healthier than like McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or any of that, any of the other fast foods, because it's like, ah, you know, back it be, it's a tortilla. You know, I don't see bread. I see a tortilla. It's totally different. <laughs> it's healthier. 
And uh, we all know like the, the, the beef or the meat that they use is like grade D, which I kind of messed up on the order there. I didn't specify chicken and steak, which is what you, you should probably be doing uh, when hitting up Taco Bell because it's like grade D meat. Mostly sawdust, but mm, that sawdust is good. And uh, we did get to go out once for dinner. Um, we went to this place down the street that we've been to a couple times now, and this was a shit show. Complete nightmare. Our daughter, we we took her to the to the pool on Saturday for a while. She, of course, fell asleep. We initially went because so my wife's car has gone apeshit. It just haywire. It just stopped working. Like I put I had to, you know, drive my daughter to daycare and I start up the car, put it in reverse. All is good. All is well in the world. Uh, well. I mean, my daughter is screaming her face off. I carried her out of the house by her ankle upside down and she was screaming bloody murder. So it's like, you know, for those who don't know me in the complex in the neighborhood, probably think, oh, kidnapping in progress, call the fuzz. But uh, yeah, so as she's screaming her her tiny little head off, I am put the car in reverse and I put it into drive, D, and I apply pressure on the accelerator the gas pedal if you will and i just hear and i'm like huh okay maybe it didn't register that i would like to drive now forward and so i kind of put it in park and then i put it back in a drive and I apply the pressure on the gas and and we're not going anywhere I mean, it, people thought we were like getting ready to race, only there's no one to race. It's a race against time, basically. Um, so, you know, it's frustrating. And that, of course, I, she's losing it in the back seat, in the child seat, and I'm just like going through the gears, very rapid fire, as if that will help free up whatever is prohibiting me from driving forward. <laughs> so uh, we dealt with that for like a week or so, maybe more. And it was tough because it was like every time we slow down at a stoplight or stop sign and then that's fine. But then you're, you're stopped and the and the car just kind of lurches. It's like, oh, oh, oh. it's like a cat trying to cough up a hairball or something like that. It's just like the car wants to go. And you're like, all right, car, settle down. We'll be going in like a hot minute. And then, the, you know light turns green, you press the gas and it doesn't go anywhere. And you're like, ah, come on car. You're the one that wanted to go forward. You're not going forward now. Now's your chance. Now you're not going. It was fucking with me. It's fucking with us. So we basically would have to put on our hazards whenever we came to a stoplight. Cause we were like, well, and everyone around us know, Hey, this is not a normal situation we got going on here. And if you think that we're not accelerating quickly off the line, check the hazards. Something is off. Something is wrong. People still still didn't get it though. They instead they were just like slowly, like create distance between us and them, as if the car is going to blow up. I mean that the thought ran through my head like, is this the end of days? Like, is this how it all ends for us? We're just in a car happily singing along to Taylor Swift's new album, and then kablammy, kabloomy, kapow. You know that's it. Got that final destination brain. But, you know, 
So it's, and then there were times where, you know, we tried to figure out a hack. Like my wife had a hack where like, if you change gears and put it into M manual, like that somehow helps it a little bit, but then you forget that you're in manual and there's no, I don't even know how, like when you're in manual and you're in automatic, like how there's no third pedal. So how are you shifting in manual on an automatic car? <laughs> So you'd have to do manual. And then once it got up past the first gear, I guess we tried to shift it over to drive and away you go. And then there were times where it works fine and you're, you're accelerating nicely, smoothly. And then it, it'll just go, it'll just spike. It's like, all right. I mean, this car is, you know, was it 2016? We're like year four of this thing, and it's already crapping out. I I'm I I used to be so pro used car because I was like you know the new cars they just jack up the price beyond all belief, because uh, there's a demand for new cars. Used cars they need love too, right? Uh, a younger me would say fat chicks. They're the equivalent of fat chicks. They need love too, but that's not me anymore. I'm mature. Um, so you know just four, four years. That's all we get out of a used car. Four years. We've only owned it for a year. What was going on with this previous owner? <laughs> what were they doing with this car? So, um, yeah, that day, Saturday. So we had to drive to, to, I guess, drop off the car to get serviced. And then we had, to, we had to get the loaner car. And of course, the loaner car that they give you is always better than the car that you have. And I mean, it took us like two seconds of driving in that car to be like, we should buy this car. We should trade in the car, that the crappy car that we just had serviced for this new car. And of course, we look up the price and it's, you know, a lot more. And you fall in love real quick and then it's hard to say no. So who knows what happens. But it turns out we need a new transmission, which does not, isn't cheap. So I'm like forty, forty five hundred, five thousand dollars. Luckily, my wife is a is a soothsayer. She can predict the future and bought an extended warranty, so it's uh, equal to zero dollars um, for a new transmission. Unbelievable. So, um, yeah. Saturday dropped. Got the new loaner car and then went to the, drove to the pool. On the way to the pool, the, the baby falls asleep. And it's like sleep, naps, hard to come by. The kid wants to take a nap. Doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You're taking a nap right there and then. So I stayed in the car with the baby as she took a, an hour long nap. And I had the car running because it's like 100,000 degrees outside. And if I leave, if I turn the engine off and have the AC run, the battery dies, and then where are we? We're back to square one. So we definitely punctured a hole in. Uh, we contributed to the greenhouse effect, and we punched a hole in the stratosphere or whatever the you know the whatever's whatever thin paper thin separation is between us and the sun. We just poked a little hole in it by running the car for an hour straight, so my baby could sleep. <laughs> And then we went to the pool. We went, we parked at the pool. She slept. 
my wife and my sister-in-law went in, enjoyed themselves, and then I came in hot with the baby and uh, had ourselves a day at the pool. Um, but yeah, we ended up going to the dinner down the street, like I began this story with, and it, and uh, the baby was just not having it, not even a little bit, not even one ounce was she buying into this whole concept. Nope, just a, just a nope all across the board. It stinks because you show up and you get a mixed reaction, mixed bag, right? You get people, you get the. I'd say the the childbearing to menopausal women, <laughs> women in their thirties who want to get pregnant and have a baby, or the women that are like miss. It's the it's the women that are like would like to get pregnant, and there are women that have not been pregnant for a long time. Those are the two groups of women that look at our daughter in the matching dress with my wife. And they go, aw. You have the pregnant women who are like, oh, that's going to come out of me in like a little bit. And they're not excited about it. You have the women who've had the baby and are like, I know exactly what you're going through. And I wish I could say aw, but I know exactly what's in store for you right now. I know what's coming down the pipe. And, and then there are people just annoyed. It's like, oh, I got to deal with this friggin' small, this little kid. Like, uh, you know, I had a long week of work. I just want to relax and enjoy myself and not have to listen to crying. And uh, then you have a, a table full of bachelorettes in college that just want to, like, let loose and rip shots. And we had all of them looking at us eventually because the, the baby just could not sit still. Like, like. What sounds better than this? I'm going to pitch you on something. You're in a high chair. All right, maybe it's not the most comfortable high chair, but it's sturdy. It gets the job done. You have an iPad, okay? For an iPad for a child, it's like a big screen TV, if you're thinking relatively. Like, if, I, if you were to ratio it out, proportion it out, iPad is a big screen TV for a baby. So you're sitting in a nice, cool high chair, iPad playing one of your favorite movies. There's two of your favorite movies on that thing. You're you're watching one of them. And food is coming to you. And all you have to do is eat and watch your movie. Outside on a gorgeous day in the shade. I I can't understand how you're not bad about it. How that's not enough for you. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe we'll just do this, the whole one lap around the restaurant type thing. Because that seems to work almost all the time. It's like, oh, all right, we get there. We sit her in the, the high chair, the booster seat or whatever. And you can tell she wants to explore. She wants to know what's going on. Who's that? What's that? I need to know. I need to examine every square inch of this joint before I can actually just settle in and engage in some uh, high-level conversations. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll do the lap. Very easy. Pick her up, do a lap, go slowly so she can see everything and t try to touch everything and everyone can look at her and she can feel like she's, you know, star of the show and then she can get that out of her system and then we can sit down. So we do the lap and this time she doesn't do the normal lap. She decides we're going to go to the empty parking lot of the bank next door and we're just going to walk around an empty parking lot of a bank. What kind of freaking person is this what kind of 
hobo recluse behavior is this? Who are we raising that this child is more interested in like just loitering in a freaking empty parking lot of a bank? I mean, I can see drug deals in her future. I can see like, you know, soliciting certain sexual favors. I mean, like I can only see bad things for this kid if that's what she's like into in broad daylight. I did a lap. I did another lap. My wife did a lap. We did so many laps. I mean, it would make Michael Phelps blush. It would it would make it would make Dale Earnhardt Jr. blush with the amount of laps we did at this freaking restaurant. And and everyone's looking at you and you're saying and, and I felt like saying to him, "What do you want me to do?" We're we're shoving food in her face. Every kind of food we have available to us. We have our bottles. We have our iPad. I don't know. As a kid, that age, not even two, what more could you want? And, and it's like, and you have to like scarf your food very quickly so that you can just get the hell out of there and take the L. Just take the L, box it up, and get the hell out of there. And at one point, my sister-in-law looks at me and goes, you good? And it's like, No. Very not good. Very bad. That's the worst performance that my daughter's ever put on. And I, I, I let her know about it too. I gave her a very <laughs> quiet tongue lashing. I didn't yell. I was like, very disappointed in you. You're being a very bad girl. You're, I'm disappointed. You're making me sad. You're making mommy sad. And we're mad and we're sad. Sad and mad. You have a mad and sad dad. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, we, we like immediately tried, we immediately just like threw her in the crib. Like, you know, no books, no bath, no brushing your hair, no brushing your teeth. You're going to bed dirty and raw because that's what, that's what bad girls get. Um, and then the next morning, my, uh, my mother-in-law and, and her husband uh, came to pick up some stuff from our storage unit. And she was just like, She's like a little, like a baby koala on me, just attached and latched to me and just like put her head in my shoulder. And it's just like, uh, you know, I mean, this is how it's going to work. Then I'll deal with it, but I'm not, you know, it's going to be tough. So yeah, she's just been, she used to be such a good eater. Like you'd put anything in front of her and she'd eat it. And we were like, this is insane. She's like eating, you know. Duck a la range, or you know, cherries flambe, whatever you name it, whatever classy, fancy dish you can think of, and put it in front of her and she'd eat it. Now it's just like, I don't know, Cheerios. That's it. That's the only thing that she'll eat and not cry about. I mean, she used to love mac and cheese. She used to love avocado. None of it flies. Baked beans were huge. She didn't even touch her baked beans today. Like, what happened? It's like she had one thing that completely just like, it's like she didn't have taste buds for like a year and a half. And then one of them popped up out of nowhere and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. No thank you to any of this. Cheerios for life, son. Um, yeah, and then, and then Sunday just got out of control after that. 
I just, I just, you know, just too much, just, just too much going on. Too many people. At one point, there was like a dog fight in her backyard, and then it's like the baby's going nuts because of the dog fight. And then we're supposed, to, we're having people over for like a dinner that, you know, and it's like, you know, I want to order pizza, and it's a no. The neighbor wants to come over and order pizza. Oh yeah, sure, no problem. I understand COVID's affecting everyone. Everyone's got a little COVID madness. Totally understand it. But this address thing that we've got going on at our place, got to stop. They got to do something about it. Our address didn't exist a little bit ago, apparently. Two or three years ago, it didn't exist. It does exist now. It's been two or three years. Everyone, update your system. Let's go. Our address does not show up in, uh, in GPS. Part of our address shows up in GPS. And if you try to order delivery for food or anything else, it won't recognize it. Be like, no, 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 no. That's not a real address. And our address is like, no, I'm a real boy. Like, I do exist. <sighs> so we have to use another address. And then the special instructions be like, we're on this street. But it's off of this address that we just gave you. But sometimes we forget. And my wife forgot. Placed an order on my phone. I didn't have my phone on me. We got the contactless delivery. I I was outside. I come back in, and my wife's like, "The food's still not here. What's going on?" And and they're like, "Did they contact you? Did you hear anyone?" I was like, "No, no, no. I don't know what's going on. I don't know when you ordered it. I don't know how you ordered it. I don't know. No one's come to the door. No one's rang the doorbell. No one's knocked on the door, as far as I know." Look at my phone. There's a text from a random 973 number. It's like delivered. Like, oh, that's interesting. That was like 15 minutes ago. I guess it came. And we go outside. There's no pizza. No pizza. So then we look next door. No pizza. We go to the other door. Other door. I walk across the street. I walk down the street. I, I went to every door on our street looking for this box of pizza. She calls place and and this is a new place we've ordered from we haven't ordered from them before obviously and uh the guy's like accused us of running a a scam a fraudulent scam fraud pizza fraud he accused us of this guy who picked up the phone at this fucking pizza place saying we've had a rash of incidents where people claim that they never got their pizza when they did and then we we deliver they basically get two pizzas for the price of one and it's like guy Sorry for your woes. Unfortunate for you. Hate to see it, but we actually did not get a pizza. And uh, there's a very easy way to solve all this. Delivery guy needs to just take a photo or video of him placing the pizza box in front of the freaking door. Be like, we delivered it. But he didn't do that. And I guarantee he there's like a, a there's like a thousand of our street address names in the area. You couldn't have picked of all the names, street names you could have picked. You could have picked something a little more unique than what we picked because there's like one in every town surrounding us. Might as well call it Main Street. Uh, of course, you know I texted the guy who just texted me that he delivered. And I was like, here, here's the details on where we are, dude. I gave him very vivid details. We're across the street from this, down the street from this. You'll see this landmark 
out the ass. And uh, eventually it came like an hour or two later. And we ate it. And it was actually good. But it's like, I don't know if I can order from this place again. The guy accused us of running a scam. He got angry and flustered and frustrated at us. Because his delivery guy is a dickhead. Who, who can't follow directions. So I was in a sour mood. Very sour mood. And it's carried over to this week. Been a rough week. Stressful week. A lot of people making demands. Guys, it's July. Hell is hot. What is that? Ex- <laughs> hell, is, hell is hot and it's dark. That's definitely not it. It's dark and hell is hot. I don't know. DMX is going to give it to you. That's life. What a friggin' week. My daughter, like, my daughter. That's all I can say. My daughter is literally all I can say. <laughs> she doesn't She doesn't want the shoes on. She wants the shoes on. She wants shoes on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. I don't want you to put my shoes on. I want mommy to put my shoes on. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, terrible twos, y'all. She's not even two. We're in the terrible twos. Awesome. Maybe she's just advanced. Uh, yeah, keep telling yourself that, Neil. All right, let's talk movies. Um, historic agreement between Universal Pictures and AMC. Uh, Universal Movies. Uh, typically, you had to wait 75 to 90 days before they appeared on home entertainment platforms. And now Universal will have the option to put its movies on digital rental services after they play in theaters for 17 days, which that's a pretty significant uh, decrease. And I don't know how I feel about it. 90 days feels too long. 75 days feels all right. 17 feels like, whoa, dude. Who is going to actually go to the theater when you can just wait 17 days? Is there a happy medium? I don't know. Especially with AMC, like, about to, like, did they declare bankruptcy? Are they on the brink of bankruptcy? What happens if they do go bankrupt? Are other theaters going to fall suit? Are smaller chain independent theaters going to suffer? Um, how is Netflix affected? You know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions around the future of movie theaters and whatnot. I mean, I still love going to the movie theater. I mean, when I had movie pass, I was like a pig and shit. Okay. Fucking loved it. I mean, $10 a month and I can go to unlimited, like a movie per day, one movie per day. I mean, if I were, I mean, holy shit. If I were, you know, wow, you kids. You know how good you got it. But yeah, that was the life. No kid. Just go to like movie Friday, movie Saturday, maybe even Sunday. <laughs> Ugh. And now it's like I don't even know the next time I'll be in a movie theater. I'm trying to think of the last movie I saw in a theater. And I cannot remember. Was it February or January? the hell did we go see can't even begin to tell you was it dr sleep my birthday birthday weekend was it dr sleep holy shit 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I, well, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you feel like going out. Sometimes you feel like staying in, you know? Drive-in movie theaters are coming back, which is great because I've always wanted to go to a drive-in movie theater. I don't think I've ever been. It just looks cool. Uh, but it also might not be cool. I don't know. Someone at work was saying Jurassic Park was like number one at the box office because it's like there were only drive-in movie theaters and they only play old movies at drive-in movie theaters. There was two two other guys who were number one at the box office when there was like zero other movies at the box office. They just basically paid a theater and bought out all the seats in the theater for one showing. And it was like, what was it, $25,000 for the weekend? It was like, that one's the box office. Like, <laughs> they took advantage of it. And they had a number one box office hit. And they can probably put that on any future marketing materials they got going on. The res, you know. They're real. Not a bad move. But, uh, yeah. I don't know that I'm, like, super itching. I just love movie popcorn. I think that's it. I think I need to get, like, and this is where, like, middle-aged midlife crisis me is kicking in. That I'm I'm definitely, at some point, going to try and finagle like build out a whole big home entertainment system, like movie theater type room, like go to the nines and then I won't be able to like fully experience or enjoy it. Cause like the kids are sleeping <laughs> and then it's like, I just can't wait till they go to college so I can fully have my mini movie theater experience that I've always wanted. And by that time, um, I don't know. The Reaper will come for me. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Oh, boy. Um, so let's talk about Bloodshot. This, uh, oh, it is. Okay. It was PG-13, hour and 49 minutes, action drama, sci-fi, comic book adaptation. Uh, it hit theaters March 13th, 2020 which is like right at the start of COVID, right when everyone's like, we got to shut her down. Um, so it obviously didn't uh, didn't fare well at the box office. Um, it's about Ray Garrison, Vin Diesel. He plays Ray Garrison, a slain soldier who's reanimated with superpowers. Uh, it's directed by Dave Wilson. And uh, I don't know what else he's done. Did I just not write that down? Cool, Neil. Maybe he didn't have any directing credits. Okay. And it's uh, written by Jeff Wadlow. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he wrote Fantasy Island, which I recently reviewed a couple weeks ago. Also Truth or Dare, uh, an episode of The Strain, Kick-Ass 2, uh, which Quentin Tarantino was high on, and a couple episodes of Bates Motel. It was also co-written by Eric Heiserer. Heiserer. Who wrote Bird Box, Extinction, Arrival, Lights Out, The Thing, Final Destination Five, Final Destination Five, and A Nightmare on Elm Street? That's like if you have uh, a sequel of a franchise that's pretty much run its course, you bring in old Eric. 
<laughs> That's not fair. I mean, Arrival was like awesome. I like Bird Box too. I mean, it had some moments here or there where it was like, I don't know about that. Um, Extinction? I don't know if I've seen Extinction. I think that was the on Netflix with Michael Pena, if I'm thinking correctly. Um, as I said, Vin Diesel is Ray Garrison, a.k.a. Bloodshot. Um, Sam, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Sam Hewen, Hogan, as Jimmy Dalton. Uh, you might remember him from Outlander, which is a series that should be in my queue. It's on my list. Uh, it's, I don't know, I forget what season it's in now, but um, definitely something I want to check out. And then um, he was also in The Spy Who Dumped Me, if you remember that movie. Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis. Uh, Isa Gonzalez as KT, not Katie. She was in Godzilla vs. Kong, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, and Alita Battle Angel. Welcome to Marwin, Baby Driver. Uh, Toby Kebbell. I mean, can you give me like harder names to freaking pronounce? As Martin Axe. Um, Toby has been in Servant, which is that M. Night Shyamalan series, I think, on Apple TV that I really want to watch. He's also in Kong Skull Island War, and he voiced Koda, Koba, and and the Planet of the Apes, the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. Um, If you're a Black Mirror fan, you'll remember he was in the one where there's like that thing, and maybe you put it in your ear. There was like a little device and maybe you put it in your eye or your ear and you can actually, it records like literally everything that you see and then you can, you can log it and store it digitally and then you can rewind it back. And, uh, I like that episode. I think that was a good episode. He's also in wrath of the Titans and fantastic four. He was Dr. Doom in fantastic four, which I mean, no one saw that. The the most recent Fantastic Four with like uh, Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan. Um, kind of reminds me of what's his name, Jonathan Silverman, who was in that. He was in that TV show. The fuck was it called? But he was also in uh, Weekend at Bernie's. One of the dudes in Weekend at Bernie's. Guy Pierce, one of my favorite actors of all time. Is Dr. Emil Harding. Uh, if you're not familiar with Guy, Guy Pierce, I don't know if we can be friends, but I'll let it slide. He was in Memento, one of my favorite movies of all time. He was in LA Confidential, Iron Man 3. He played a similar character in Iron Man 3 as he does in this movie. Uh, Hurt Locker, King's Speech, Prometheus. Get a, he's got a nice little list going. Um... I got to say, of the people I've run down so far, Vin Diesel's Vin Diesel. I mean, you know, I, I was watching this movie and I was thinking to myself, wow, I don't think I've seen a Vin Diesel movie in quite some time. I mean, and I'm not counting Guardians of the Galaxy where he voices uh, Groot. I'm talking about, uh, Jesus, Edwin Diaz sucks. He just sucks. Just flat out sucks. It's hard to watch. Bases loaded and you fucking hit a guy. Now we're down by two. Sweet. Um, but I, in terms of Vin Diesel movie, I, I never watched any of the Fast and the Furious movies. 
except like the first one in 2001, 2002, maybe. Um, and I watched Pitch Black. Uh, so what was that, 99? So I, I think since 2000, oh, Triple X. So I think Triple X was 2002, maybe, also. So it's been fucking an adult-aged person since I've seen Vin Diesel in a live-action movie. Where he is also live action. He's not voicing something or someone. Uh, and all I can think about is Taron Gill- Killiam's impression of Vin Diesel in that uh, SNL digital short where The Rock remakes Bambi and The Rock is Bambi. And v- D- Vin Diesel, <laughs> Taron Killiam as Vin Diesel plays Thumper. And he just <laughs> keeps talking the same way. He's like, I don't want to. Like, like that was just running on loop <coughs> in my head as I was watching this movie. So, um, how old is Vin Diesel now? He's got to be in his fifties, right? Forties, late forties. I don't know. He's been around for so long and. I mean, he's just so. I had to. I actually Googled how tall is Vin Diesel. Because <laughs> at one point he was walking and I was like, he looks like he's in some like mega lift boots. Like, you know, the, uh, I think one of my buddies got this, but like shoes where you can buy like super hardcore lifts that add like a, two inches to your height. And it, it seemed like he was, they had him doing that. And I was like, Am I like seeing things or is he not tall? And then I uh, Googled it. And, and unless someone's paying off Google, which I wouldn't put it past, you know, Hollywood publicity agents, but he's six foot just like me. Um, so, but yeah, he, he did a lot of that in this, in this movie. And to be honest, I was hoping it would get a little more humor out of him. Um, I feel like the first, act the to midway through the second act like the first half of the movie before they introduced uh lamorne lamorne morris as wilford wiggins uh okay if none of those names sound familiar he was winston bishop on the new girl and if you haven't seen the new girl if you don't like the new girl well then you know let's fight outdoors preferably when the sun's out so i can see it coming but uh yeah most of the comic relief came through wilford Wilford Wiggins. Um, and I feel like there were so many opportunities for Vin Diesel to be, to just like let loose a little bit and have some fun with it. But I, I understand like, it's a little tough when like you wake up and you don't know where you are, why you are, what you are. Um, Tallulah Riley as Gina Garrison. Um, she was Angela in Westworld. So she was one of the hosts in Westworld. Didn't have a lot of lines. She didn't have a lot of lines in this one either. Alex Hernandez as Marcus Tibbs, who I, I liked Tibbs. Tibbs was a character that I thought should deserve a little more screen time. I thought there was something more there than there was. You know, blind soldier who was equipped with all kinds of cameras that he can he can see through the cameras and he has he can see behind him and around him and total like 360 
vision. And there was a moment like in the beginning, towards the beginning of the movie where uh, Guy Pierce is like introducing Vin Diesel to all the other soldiers that he's helped out with his technology. Um, and he introduces him to Tibbs and there was like a connection there. There was a moment where it's like something positive is going to happen between these two. And they do a little fist bump. And I thought that was going to come into play at some point later in the movie. Unless I'm, unless I'm misremembering. Never really did. Never really panned out. But I was hoping to see more out of Tibbs. Instead, we got more of a... The conflict was mo- mostly driven uh, between Sam Hewins' character, Dalton, and Vin Diesel. And you don't really understand... Like, Dalton's, like, okay, is Dalton jealous? Yes, I guess that's part of it. Is he envious? Maybe. He's the one who, uh, he doesn't have any legs. Um, and he's been given prosthetic legs that allow him to run faster, jump higher, all that jazz. I would like to have seen them spend a little more time getting to know, like, Dalton and KT and Tibbs. I feel like we were introduced to them and then we don't get much of their backstory. It's just a very quick like tweet, 140 characters of like their backstory and 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 they're only it's only really I don't know. Would have been nice to know like how, you know, we were told how they lose their legs there or they were told just that, Oh, he lost his legs obviously. And Oh, well he's blind. And she, her, you know, KT, um, can't breathe without the help of this device that, he, that, uh, this, that guy Pierce's Dr. Harding character has developed. Just would have been nice. I mean, we get to see a little bit more of KT swimming, I guess that was cool, <laughs> but it would, it would have been, a lot better if we got to know those those characters a little bit more um and you know their prior history their backstory i mean they kind of touched on it with kate when kt had the conversation with uh vin diesel um by that pool thing but i don't know could have explored that a little bit more tough to fit in i understand but would have been nice Siddharth Dahanajay as Eric. Uh, if you've ever seen Patty Cakes, which is a, a indie darling about a, a very heavy set white woman who becomes a rapper, he plays Jerry in that movie, J H E R Y, who is her, starts off as her friend, and I think they actually become more than friends at some point, but he was really good in that movie. I liked him in that movie. I liked him in this movie. He was also sort of comic relief in this. Um, so we talked about how like this came out right at the at the launch of COVID. Couldn't have picked a worse time to release in theaters, and it ended up grossing ten million dollars in the U.S. and Canada, and twenty three point four million in other territories for a worldwide gross of thirty three point four million on a budget of forty five million. I mean, not, you know, not bad almost almost balanced out before it you know it had to be removed and all the theaters closed down uh 
where its first three days of home release, Bloodshot was the most watched on Amazon Prime and fourth most on iTunes. Uh, nothing to, I mean, that's not too shab, right? Most watched on Amazon Prime and fourth most on iTunes. Despite the pandemic's effects on the film's box office, Bloodshot was ranked number one on Digital Entertainment Group's Watched at Home Top 20 list for the week ending May 9th. Um, which, again, is not too bad. Uh, the critics' consensus. Critics were not kind to this movie. Uh, Bloodshot gives Vin Diesel a solid opportunity to indulge in old-school action that should satisfy fans, even if the end result is disappointingly mediocre. I, I don't, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. It definitely felt very familiar, very, very familiar, like path that it followed. I'm sure Vin Diesel fans loved it. I'm not a huge Vin, Di- Vin Diesel fan, but I'm not like completely opposed to him, even though I haven't seen him in 18 years. Uh, Anyway, 30% of critics gave it a favorable favorable review with a 4.52 out of 10 average rating. And 78% of the audience gave it a favorable review with an average rating of 4.05 out of 5. And I have to say, I'd probably go closer to the audience on this one. And yeah, maybe it felt, felt a little tired. It felt like, you know, we've been down this road before. We've seen these characters before. Nothing really new is coming our way. Um, it's almost like the old guard in a way. It's like, this is, there's a lot more to this story that can be told. There's a lot more to explore. And and that's why, you know, maybe they didn't go into detail or depth with a lot of the supporting cast. Cause it's like, we're going to get into their stories as we, we move on down the line. Because there's definitely, you know, we'll get into it a little bit, but. This is, it just doesn't feel like a one and done. You know, I feel like there's enough there that they could build on it, build the the universe. So am I going to go high as a four out of five? Eh. But I'm not going to go as low as like a five out of 10. So is that between 50 and, you know, 80%, 50 to 80 rating? I'd probably go closer to like a... 65. So I'm not really cutting it in half, I don't think. Although maybe I am. I go a little, I split the difference and push it towards the audience. What did some of the top critics have to say? Glad you asked. It's diesel powered dumb fun, which <laughs> it's a pretty good, I mean, that should have been the tagline right there diesel powered uh, dumb fun. The uh, another critic said the action sequences look like they were edited by a Cuisinart. Harsh, burn, roast, boom. Um, I did not pick up on that. I uh, the the one sequence where it's like, is it flower or what the hell? Truck crashes. They're in the tunnel. Um, it's Martin Axe, and he's got his convoys cavalry or whatever of s black suvs with all these mercenaries or swat guys or whatever security detail and vin diesel manages to like cut them off in the tunnel 
with a truck crashes a massive truck that was carrying flour was it flour i don't know but it, it maybe it's just white powder and i don't know that a truck a commercial truck is transporting cocaine but maybe i don't know you know i don't know what year it is um and so it's dark in the tunnel the lights go out and there's there's like white powder flying everywhere and he's just ta- i mean Vin Diesel's just taking round after round of bullets because he realizes, oh, I got the healing power. Do the do the nanites, whatever those little things are, that can just heal him and repair him super quick, all up in his blood. But it's also controlled by Guy Pierce's character through a server or something. Um, that action sequence was pretty fucking dope. I don't know, so. I've seen worse, you know, when there's like, when they, when they, you know, when the, the director, the camera guy is just like, just flinging the camera left and right. And all it's just a blurry mess. That's awful. When you can't see anything, you can't see punch land or a kick or anything like that. It's just like, what am I, why, why, what is going on right now? Am I having a, a seizure? What is happening? Um, Another critic said a bewildering piece of good, bad sci-fi action trash, which it's like (laughs) the best backhanded compliment I've ever heard. Good, bad sci-fi action trash. And if you can't get down with that, what can you get down with? If you, do you like the party? No. Okay. Hasta luego. Uh, another critic said inception drawn in extra thick Sharpie and testosterone. (laughs) I thought that was a good, a good line. Um, interesting. They went with inception. I didn't pick up on inception at all with that. I'm, although I guess, yeah, Guy Pierce's doctors is trying to incept memories into plant these memories in Vin Diesel spoiler so that he will continue to murder on his behalf in what seems like revenge, but really isn't revenge. Spoiler. Um, I think my one cat is getting revenge on my other cat right now as we speak. Uh, another critic said, the movie is presented as a story of a man who hasn't figured out who he is yet. I mean, it's the story of my life. But that's not quite right. Instead, it's a movie that doesn't seem to know what it wants to be when it grows up. So cute. So clever. I don't I don't agree with that, to be honest. And the Mets lose. The Mets lose. Another absolute heartbreaker. Um doesn't know what it wants to be when it grows up. I think it's it to to be honest, I, I don't know. I think it had a premise that was not just typical action bullshit. I think there were some layers to it. Maybe it didn't navigate those layers that well. Maybe you could have brushed up on some character development. Maybe punch up the dialogue so that the humor's a little bit there, more there. Um... Uh, you know, 
But to say it doesn't know what it wants to be when it grows up, I mean, they have a, I'll get to it in a minute, but they have big plans for this character and for this franchise. So, um, I think it kind of tippy-toed on the fine line between being like Venom. So, if you remember, Venom wasn't like your typical, uh, you know, Marvel, DC, comic book superhero movie. It was a little bit campy and cheeky and, you know, but it was like winking at the audience. And I feel like this almost had that kind of tone to it. Um, And I wish it did, you know, push it in that direction as opposed to trying to be like a... And, you know, Thor did this too. Like Thor... Ragnarok everyone loved because it had inf- had more humor and offbeat, off-the-cuff type uh, situations and interactions, uh, whereas like Thor Dark World and the first Thor was a little, you know, it felt a little bit stale or stiff. So it started to loosen up in the second half of the movie, I'll say that. But it would have been nice if like it just... Had a little more fun with it. A little more dumb fun. Um, Because, I mean, you know, one, it got better once the Wiggins entered the picture. Because at least he was, it's almost like he played the part of the audience in a lot of ways. And the, what the audience was thinking. And uh, there needed to be more of that throughout. And maybe that was supposed to be Eric, the techie that works with Guy Pierce's character. I don't know. I'll, but the the last of the critics that I'll mention <laughs> said this. Vin Diesel looks more than ever like Mr. Clean fused with Adam Sandler. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, Mr. Mr. Clean, not a bad looking dude. I'm sure many, of, many a, a lady has flicked their bean to Mr. Clean. And you can print that. Adam Sandler also, I mean, I need to get... M- I mean, from just from my perspective, you could do worse if you're a lady. Now, if he had the humor of Adam Sandler, that would be that'd be nice. Um, it's a little more self awareness. I mean, I just understandably, I mean, he's dealing with trauma, so it's like you don't want to get too loose with it. You know, he thinks that he's lost his wife. And he's trying to get revenge. So I get it. Like you're not going to be like all laughs and lollipops. Um, let's dive into some fun facts and trivia. Why don't we? One time. Bloodshot is one of the most popular characters in the 80 million comic selling Valiant universe. Bloodshot has sold over 7 million comics in all languages. I honestly didn't know about this character until I saw the trailer for this movie. And I love the trailer. Bloodshot uh, issue number one was a much anticipated comic that became the best selling issue and has gone to sell approximately 1 million copies. It was also awarded best comic uh, and best innovation for its chromium cover. The first of its kind. Um, there was a, uh, an, uh, I mean, this is also, I love little connections like this. 
I mentioned Guy Pierce was in Memento, one of my favorite movies. That was also about a man with memory loss tracking down his wife's killer. Both, both movies featured someone manipulating the truth about his wife's killer to try and control the protagonist. Um, yeah. So I thought that, and to have Guy Pierce in this movie, um, did, uh, when did I, uh, when did I get tipped off about this? Like Guy Pierce is in the movie. He was in Memento, one of my favorite movies, but did I pick up on that? Did I pick up on that? I don't think I did. When did I pick up on it? It was before it was, re- it was definitely before it was revealed, I think. I'm getting good at this, by the way, other than a walk to remember. Although, even walk to remember, I was kind of, I was right near, which this is not fun. I don't think that's fun guessing what's going to happen. That's not fun. Um, but it's happening more and more often. So maybe I should just start writing some movies and crank out some screenplays and get some money. But yeah, I think I called it. When did I call it? I mean, they kind of reveal a little bit in the trailer. They actually revealed, I think I revealed a lot in the trailer. So maybe I already knew going in, but I still liked it. Okay. Uh, in April 2015, Sony Pictures' original film in Valiant announced a five-picture deal to bring Valiant comic superheroes to the big screen, including Bloodshot. So Bloodshot was conceived to be followed by a sequel, so we'll get Bloodshot 2, and then two films based on the comic book series Harbinger and a culmination in a crossover titled Harbinger Wars. So we're looking at, yeah, they got, they got some plans, and I don't know how this affects everything. Because it's like there was supposed to be a whole dark universe with the mummy and Tom Cruise. And then that flopped and they were like, ooh, maybe not. But then they they kind of reinvigorated the universe with Invisible Man. So maybe they rejigger their plans for this this, uh, bloodshot universe. But just like the old guard, I think they've laid down a nice little foundation. It's almost like when you're watching TV. Season one is always like peaks your interest. You're like, all right, I could get on board the show. It got better. You know, season one, it's like, all right, not the greatest, but like, let's see where they go from here. And then usually season two of a TV series is typically always the best season, two or three. And that's how I feel about Bloodshot and the Old Guard. I feel like the first movie is like, and it sets everything up nicely, but you know, there's still a lot more to be told and explored. So, um, there's supposed to be a post post credit scene where Ken Watanabe definitely butchered that, uh, plays Toyo Harada, a powerful psychic. And this will lead into Harbinger, um, who I think Harbinger is, is someone that can control technology and maybe he's a villain. I'm not sure. Or is Harding Harbinger? 
I'm sure all the comic book fans that are listening or watching, of which there are zero, are like, you fucking idiot. Of course it's Harding as Harbinger. I don't know. I got a little, I got some T2 vibes from this. There's like the E.T. Instead of the glowing finger, it's like the glowing heart inside Vin Diesel's chest. There was that going on. But like there was a, there was definitely some T2 vibes going on in this. When like Vin Diesel gets blown to smithereens and all, and you just see like the nanites kind of, kind of like disperse from the shot and then just all kind of come back and heal him real quick one time. Um, but yeah, dude, those nanites so clutch. Uh, but yeah, T2 vibes. What was the other vibe I got from this? T2. And there was one other thing. Can't think of it. Had it. And then it just like took off. Boeing voyage. All right. So that's, uh, that's bloodshot. I liked it. I hope for a little bit more out of it, but like you, you have to have like, when you see that the, that 30%, this is like in line with Gemini man, I would say Gemini man had shitty ratings from critics. The audience loved it because the audience, sometimes the audience just wants like an action movie that has a little cool premise or concept, something that's just a little different. It doesn't have to be like, you know, breaking any barriers or, or groundbreaking or revolutionary. It just has to have like a little unique concept with a nice little twist. Blood out. But these critics, man, all they do is hate. So I would give it a shot if I, if I was you. All right, let's talk about Archive. This came out July 10th. It's an hour 49 minutes sci-fi. Am I allowed to say Thriller. You be the judge. Here's the plot synopsis from IMDb. It's the year 2038. Which, dude, you know? Upload, which I reviewed, was in 2033, 2038. My daughter will be 20. Ah! Wow. George Almore, Almore is working on a true human-equivalent AI, artificial intelligence, and his latest prototype is almost ready. The sensitive phase is also the riskiest as he has a goal that must be hidden at all costs being reunited, being reunited with his dead wife. Directed and written by Gavin Rothery, which I believe this is, he has like one other credit and it's just a short. So this is his feature film debut. And it is just like Andrew Patterson with The Vast of Night. It is a doozy. It is a good one. It's a good one. I mean, for a fucking debut, not... Not too shab. Uh, the cast, Theo James. So I mentioned this in the intro. Plays George Almore. Who is Theo James? Maybe not exactly a brand name just yet, but he was in Castlevania, the TV series. He was in Underworld, one of the Underworld movies. And he was in that Allegiant, Divergent, Insurgent trilogy uh, where he played Shailene Woodley's uh, romantic interest. And the ladies love him. Ladies love Theo James. LL Cool J. 
um, I, I didn't realize my sister-in-law and you know, we're, you know, it's always tough when I'm trying to pick a movie with my wife, but then you, you mix in the sister-in-law makes it doubly tough. Cause like, we're not, on, we don't have the same tastes. We're all, in, we're all in different areas of movie fandom. I actually asked my sister-in-law, like, what are your f- top five favorite movies? And she's like, I can't answer that. I'm like, okay. All right. I appreciate it. You know, and I, the only reason I asked that is like, so I can at least do some research and we can cut down on the amount of time we spend browsing. Cause that takes up at least an hour. You got to factor in an hour browse time, watching a million trailers, getting lukewarm responses to each of the trailers. You play one trailer, they love it. And I'm watching it. I'm like, I don't know if I can sit through two hours of this. I need to be intoxicated. Um, but there, you know, as soon as I put this, as soon as I mentioned Theo James was in this, they were like, yeah. I was like, so you don't care that it's basically like ex machina, sci-fi, you know, robots. And they're like, nope, Theo James. I'm like, all right. Good to see that when it comes down to it, we're all just human and we all just want some eye candy once in a while. Uh, so yeah, it's <laughs> Theo James. Stacey Martin as Jules Almore. That's Theo's wife dead wife uh she also voices the various iterations of the robots that he builds so j3 j2 j1 um i didn't recognize a lot of the credits that she was in or a lot of credits that she has i will just bring up that she was plays young joe in nymphomaniac volume one and two and i bring that up because i've not seen nymphomaniac volume one and two but it has been in my netflix queue for years and i don't have the balls to watch it. That's 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 the story. That's all I got. All I know is I saw the preview image, the thumbnail, the movie poster, whatever you whatever you want to call it. It's on Netflix. And I added it to my queue. But I don't have I just don't have it in me to watch it. But I, I mean, I got to cross it off the list. I got to get it out of my queue. I can't stand it when a movie's been in my queue for too long. It bothers me. <laughs> um, Rona Mitra. As I just realized that this cast breakdown I have is kind of horny. Yikes. Rona Mitra as Simone, the VP of Internal Development of Artisan Robots, Robotics. Uh, if you were a fan of FX's The Strain, she was in that. I haven't seen it, but that, I mean, you want to talk about preview images or thumbnails or promotional art, whatever you want to call it, the the fucking shit that they were putting out for the strain. Oh my God. Even like the outdoor advertising, like if you, if you're walking out and about in the city, remember those days? <laughs> um, dear God, I, I got a little queasy, a little nauseous looking at that promotional art that print art look google it but don't don't say i didn't warn you because it's like like a long like tongue and there's like a needle and an eye i don't know there's a lot of like very intense graphic imagery going on with the strain that i don't know how you get away with advertising that in public i sound like an old man on the lawn yelling at the sky but that's how i feel the Last Ship, which I also didn't see. I think that's on TNT, maybe. 
TBS. That's another show. That's a show I could get into. I think. I think that's. Uh, is that about aliens? Was that about Battleship? Um, Game Over Man, which I do not remember her in Game Over Man. And I wish Game Over Man. I wish it was something that was a little more memorable. Actually, I think was. Huh. I think that other guy, Jerry, that was Eric and Bloodshot was in Game Over Man. He was the one who was like, no, he wasn't. No, that wasn't him. You're racist, Neil. But her, like, the, the credit that I latch on to and that I remember for Rona Mitra, Nip Tuck. I was very into Nip Tuck for a hard two or three seasons because it was like plastic surgeons and they're like constantly the one dude who actually played Dr. Doom in fan, another Fantastic Four movie uh, was just constantly humping girls, like very beautiful girls. And sometimes he would just like have sex with the ugly women or sorry, not ugly women, you know, beauties in the the boulder. Uh, women that wanted surgery or who didn't have high self-esteem and they wanted surgery. And so he would, he would have sex with them, but he would like put them down. Uh, it was just like one hell of a joy ride and she was in it. And I think she was like, spoiler. No one talks about nip tuck anymore. It's so interesting. But I was like very into it. And she played like a killer. Maybe she was a doctor or a cop, but she was also a killer. I don't know. That, that's when the show got a little went a little sideways. It was like there, it's now a murder mystery. <laughs> um, Richard Glover is Melvin, an associate of Vincent Sinclair. Hans Peterson is Elson. I I honestly thought this was the dad from Step Brothers, and it's not the dad from Step Brothers. After looking at IMDb, it for sure is not. But if you watch this movie and you watch the scene with Elson, you're like, that's the dad from Step Brothers. So, I don't know. Toby Jones as Vincent Sinclair, an executive of the Archive Company. Uh, this dude is like raking it in as like evil scientist slash doctor, like bad doctor. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Wayward Pines, Captain America, First Avenger, Harry Potter series. Like this dude makes bank. And I, I bet he has no qualms about it. He's like, you, you need a evil looking bad doctor I'm your guy and I'm just going to continue to make a career out of it and God bless him you know if it ain't broke my man um so yeah I think Theo James did a uh a really I think he did a better job in this than he did in like the friggin trilogy Allegiant Divergent Insurgent in my opinion I mean obviously he's like the gets a lot more screen time he's the main character here but you know, I thought he did uh, a very convincing job. Yeah, I'll say that. I know I'm going on a limb, but there it is. Uh, Stacy Martin as the wife. Meh. Yeah, she was good. I'm always I'm I'm like painfully aware of how thin these women are. I think she's she was just so thin. You know, like thin women, and I know you're not supposed to body shame. I get it. I body shame myself on a, on a, on a 
not a daily basis, like an, a minute basis. Every minute of my life, I'm looking at my body and being like, I'm disgusted. So I'm not body shaming this woman, but the women like that are just like, how is that? Like, how are you that thin? Like, where's, where is everything? <laughs> how is that possible that your arm goes like straight down? There's like no, and, and there are plenty of people, men and women included, who love that, who are into it. I'm I'm just always curious because like I, you know, I'm a curvy guy. I like curves. Boom, I said it. But I'm very I'm also fascinated by the anatomical structure, physiology of of women who, and I've noticed it in a lot of you know a lot of actresses and a lot of movies where it's just like, it's just where is everything? <laughs> where is it? Where does it go? How is your body constructed? Okay. The critics' consensus for Archive. Archive executes its fairly basic program efficiently, off, efficiently offering sci-fi fans an engaging meditation on love and human nature. 73% of critics gave it a favorable review with an average rating of 7 out of 10. There are not enough audience members, so... If you're listening and you've watched this, you get on the RT on the Rotten Tomatoes and leave your review. Hopefully it's fairly positive. I would say I would put my review right around there. Seven out of ten. I think that's I think I put seven out of ten on the old IMDB. So yeah. Um hard to say what I would give it without the twist. But then again, a lot of people will say, well, the twist detracts from the rest of the movie. And I think that's uh, one of the main criticisms is like, well, this was really slow and like everything that happened, is it just null and void? Like, what do we do with it once we find out the twist? Some of the top critics, what did they have to say about this old, this little darling de debut? Uh, asking what happens if a machine replicates free will so well. What? I don't even know what I just read. Asking what happens if a machine replicates free will so well that it begins to form its own desires contrary to that of its creator. Archive is a unique take on love and loss. Okay, okay. Yet somehow Rothery turns this all around in the last few minutes into something that left me genuinely stunned. Okay. Sleek and satisfying riff on familiar sci-fi themes. Yes, for show. I mean, you know, it's hard to not draw comparisons to ex machina i think that's what most people see when they when they see this movie it's like okay you got uh, a dude who builds uh, a robot it's a female that kind of has her own way of thinking and is and, and rebels to a certain extent so yeah there's that there's a uh, i picked up on like westworld influences especially when he's creating j3 the third prototype and you can see like uh her coming through the liquid and then you have this circular white circle and it's like very strikes a chord if you've seen westworld you know exactly what i'm talking about so there's a little bit of that going on i would say inception i know we mentioned it with bloodshot that 
they were like re- uh, referring to Inception. I would say that uh, I would say that in the so they're in Japan and it's like winter and it's snowing and then the laboratory, the facility that he's in, for some reason, like makes me think of Inception. I've also seen comparisons to, I think it's called Mother, which we just watched. Did I give a review of that? I should have, but did I? I don't know if I did. I should have. Um, but yeah, same kind of setup as Mother or I Am Mother. Is that it? Same kind of uh, environment. You know, isolated, remote. Um, so yeah, I feel like he just kind of Rothery cherry picked a lot of what uh, his favorite sci-fi elements from his favorite sci-fi movies and TV shows, and just plugged it in, plug and play. And I'm not hating on it. Why not? Another critic said, "When Rothery's storytelling stalls." His filmmaking keeps things crisp and involving. You know, and that was the main criticism for a lot of people was like slow, overrated. But like because of uh, the way that he shot and because of Theo James' intensity uh, that it carried the film pretty much. So I know a lot of people, my wife and my sister-in-law were like, where is this going? How is this going to end? which can be a gift and a curse, can be good and can be bad. You know, you can be like, where is this fucking going? Like, you're just, you're tired of it and you're bored versus you're intrigued. Like, hmm, where is this going? So I will say this, and now we get into the spoiler section. The twist. That ending. Whew. I called it, by the way. I think I, I pretty much called it. I forget when I called it. But it was much like with Bloodshot, I called it before the reveal. Um, but okay, so here's what I don't get. I have a lot of questions. I'm left with a lot of questions. And that's not to say that it ruins the movie. But the twist kind of negates a lot of what's happening for like 95% of the movie, right? So archive is similar to upload, which is similar to, in a way, I guess, The Good Place meets Transcendence, that Johnny Depp movie. Basically, your digital consciousness is uploaded somewhere and you're allowed to live in this afterlife, right? So, you know, James driving with his wife uh, tells her about this opportunity in Japan. He's going to be able to build robots, his dream. He gets millions of dollars to do it in a facility. He has total control, I think. And so she's kind of on the fence. It's like, wow, Japan, like that's a big move. And uh, they're driving the car and, they, and it crashes. And you see like him kind of like moving and bloody and you see like her arm is all bloody, but like stationary, not moving. And so they, you know, the conclusion you reach is like she's dead. And so what ends up happening is her consciousness gets uploaded to this machine 
and he is able to talk to her. But unlike, it's kind of like upload in that when we talked about upload, it's a freemium environment or afterlife, right? So you, you need to keep refilling your account or paying for things. Otherwise you get relegated to the basement with the two gigs and you're allowed two gigs of data. And once you go through that, you freeze and you can't do anything. With this, it's like you can, you can, you're allowed so many hours of data or whatever. So he's talking to his wife, but he has two hour, 200 hours with his wife, right? So if you ration that out, you think about it, it's like, all right, I got 200 hours before she's gone, like forever, forever. Like I can't talk to her anymore at all because that's just where the technology is at. So 200 hours, you figure if I do one hour a week, that'll buy me like four years, right? Am I doing the math correctly? If we talk for half an hour a week, that'll get me possibly eight years with her. But the, the catch is like, how do you just limit yourself to half an hour with a wife that you know, that you know, you're not like the car crash. You don't know, like it's boom, kaboot, done. But like, you know, there is, there is a, a finite time that you have available with your wife. Like Jesus, like how are you going to limit it to half an hour, an hour, a week, a week? Jesus Christ. I mean, you do an hour a day, you know, you're done in less than a year. So, um, what ends up happening is like Theo James character. He finds out a way he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to build a, a robot that has artificial intelligence that is like I said, human equivalent, but then I'm going to upload my wife's, uh, digital consciousness, consciousness into this robot. And so then boom, you know, I can live the rest of our, my life at least with her possibly even find out a way to transfer my consciousness to it. Also a robot when I go, and then we can be robots together. Not a bad plan. Dude, sign me up. Let's figure it out. I don't want to die. Uh, but, uh, so alas, uh, you see throughout the movie that he is infringing on a copyright because he is like, I guess you could say hacked or he's stealing technology from the archive company. He's trying to, he's trying to steal it. Basically it's illegal what he's doing. His company's getting sued. He's getting, uh, you know, berated by the Ronimitra. So hot. I don't know what it is about her. Her and Maura Tierney, I think, are like doppelgangers. Something there. I don't know what it is. Um, I love my wife. Uh, so, so he's getting bitched out by Ron Mitra, and then you know he has the uh, Sinclair Melvin or whatever the 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 evil looking bad doctor and his henchman Lackey come and and uh, investigate and kind of inspect the archive company machine that he that Theo James uses to communicate with his dead wife. And it's like, this looks like it's been tampered with. You're, you're violating the dead restoration act or something like that. And they're about to like throw down. And he's like, get out. And the whole time, 
so obviously he's he, it's the walls are closing in on him, right? And he's got to figure out how to get the consciousness into the his wife's the the robot that he created so that they can I guess escape and live happily ever after. Uh, you know, crimes be crimes and felonies and arrests be damned. I guess jail time be damned. And but as he's developing this J three prototype. There's a J1 prototype and there's a J2 prototype. The J1 prototype is very clunky, cannot speak, just like beeps and chirps and is very and is not very mobile and whatnot. And uh, we find out that the the development, the brain, I guess the artificial intelligence development is equivalent of like a five-year-old person. The J2 prototype is a little bit better, still a little clunky, but it can speak. But it's not, you know, it's a little more mobile, but not, you know, it does not resemble a human at all. And it has the development of like a 16-year-old. And then the J3 prototype is like, looks like a human and is fully developed human equivalent. So the J2 prototype is getting super jealous the whole time throughout the movie. And Theo James is almost like a dad to J, the J1 and J2 prototype. Like, you shouldn't be out in in the bad weather. You're going to get wet. You know what happens when you're wet. So he's, he's acting like a father, parental figure, to J1 and J2. And J2 is obviously jealous of what's happening with J3. She's like, why don't you make these improvements to me? Am I not good enough? Blah, blah, blah. Kind of the insecurities and doubt that uh, a 16-year-old would have, right? And as a father, he's like, no, don't worry about it. Like, you're fine as you as you are. Don't worry about it, blah, blah, So, oh, I'm going to reach down for the, oh, yeah, there we go. Got to plug it in, plug it in. Uh, and then J2 eventually, you know, tries, kind of runs away. She keeps going to this one secluded spot by a waterfall and like kind of just staring off and like, you're like, what is this J2 robot doing? She's like all alone. She's just like deep in thought, I guess, pondering certain things, life, I guess. And then eventually she just says her goodbye to J1. The J2 robot says goodbye to J1 and just walks into a lake. Just like commits suicide, I guess. And... um. So you're really like invested in this J2 robot. You're like, holy shit, what a journey. Like this robot was created, it had intelligence, and it it wants approval and love from its father, Theo James. And Theo James is too wrapped up in developing J3 that he does have a tendency to ignore and neglect maybe even not fully appreciate or not be grateful for or devalue J2. And so that dynamic, that relationship is probably the most compelling of them all. And J2 just like has had enough and is like, I'll never be good enough for this. Theo James gets wrapped up in its own head and starts spiraling and just walks into a lake. That was what what drew tugged at the emotional heartstrings, whatever. And it was, was like, wow, the wow moment of the majority of the movie until you get the twist ending 
where you find out like, okay, walls are closing in on Theo James. The, the, uh, archive companies coming for them and they're not happy about it. They have these robots that are killer robots and they're trying to break down the walls and the barriers and blah, blah. And he's like, he's got the J3 prototype. The J3 prototype is also rebelling to a certain extent. Cause she's like, you just created me so that you could have her, like your whole plan was to upload her digital consciousness to me, which means that my existence will be wiped out. You're overwriting me. I'm just a software program to you. And he's like, yes, but it's, uh, he somehow convinces her. So she has a gun is about to shoot him. And she's like, and he somehow talks her out of it. So she lies down. He's about to insert and upload the, uh, the thing. He does, and then this the phone from the archive company rings, and it's uh you so part of this is like as you're reaching the two hundred hour limit data limit whatever, when you're talking to the deceased party, the connection gets worse and worse and worse, so it becomes more staticky. So he picks she the J three prototype is like don't pick that up, so she pretends like she is the dead wife for like a hot minute, and then he's like no, this isn't you. Like this isn't your, it didn't work. And then the phone for the archive co- company rings and she's like, don't pick it up. And then he picks it up and the wife is like, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you I was pregnant. Um, cause that is revealed as, uh, that was weird too. It was like, wait, so how does the robot know that she was, she's getting memories but I guess she's, I guess it was like, she's getting these memories of Theo James when she was alive. So then it's like, why are you upset when it's like, you, now you're going to get all 100% of the dead wife. I don't know. That was confusing. Uh, <laughs> but he picks up the phone and the wife is like, you know, I'm sorry, this our time is over, blah, blah. And, and he's like. Uh, I, she's like, I should have told you that I was pregnant. I'm sorry, but say hi, say hello to your daughter. So then you're like, it's like, like, wait, so she's alive. She has a four or five year old daughter. The daughter says, hi, daddy. And then you realize, oh my God, Theo James is the one who's dead. He's the one who died. The wife is alive and well with their daughter. And then you see him kind of just like, bloom, fade away, evaporate disintegrate and then uh pull back uh cut to the wife like walking away from the archive company machine and then sinclair being like sorry bro (laughs) and then she walks away with the daughter you're like oh okay cool that is one hell of a twist i called it i'm not saying i hate it but it also raises so many questions about the the movie that you watched So, and maybe that's, it would have been too clear of a giveaway if you just tell it from his perspective and he's in every shot and every scene, then you pick up like a sixth sense vibe to it. You know, there's definitely a sixth sense influence to it, but like with sixth sense, it just pulled it off better. This one, it's like, okay, 
what, how, like, we're completely, so there's this complete digital environment where we are able to follow J2 committing suicide or like secluding to some area. And, you know, like, how did we, how are we able to continuously follow J2 and her adventures and whatnot when it was Theo James is the one who's locked in this archive company? Like, if it was, if, if every shot and scene included him, it would make, it would make more sense to me. But the fact that we went kind of this red herring rabbit hole with J2, it's like, how are we able to watch that? And wouldn't you, wouldn't it, we have been better served if you saw Theo James see her walk into the lake or something like that? Does that make sense? I feel like, it, you know, still called it though. All right. So that's, <laughs> that's archive. Uh, Suck Mets really quickly. Um, you know, it's been one hell of a week. They're three and four now. I just watched the end of the Mets game, the last game against the Red Sox at City Field. Uh, and they're just as frustrating as ever. Um, but we'll, we'll start with some MLB news first. Fox, uh, I got my first taste of Fox using the virtual fans for the broadcasts and I, you know, I don't hate it. I mean, it's noticeable, uh, at certain points, but for the most part, it's just nice seeing nice feeling that there are fans in the stadium, even if it's not the same kind of noise. I don't hate it. I, I really don't. It's, it's just, it's feels a little bit closer to normal than having empty stands or cardboard cutouts. Um, so I'm, I'm all for it. Our dreams of getting Mookie Betts are done. The Dodgers signed him to a 12-year, $365 million contract extension. So uh, I assume that we will sign him when he is like 45 years old and he'll play to like a four or five-year contract and he'll uh, he'll he'll do what every other over-the-hill player that the Mets sign have done and just slowly die. Um we had talked about how the Blue Jays, like the Blue Jays, were going to play games at PNC Park in Pittsburgh, their home games, and the Pennsylvania Department of Health was like, "Nah, son, nah, not going to happen." So, they're, I guess, they're going to play their home games in Buffalo, although they just played a home game in Washington. So, I mean, this season is already off the rails. <laughs> the Marlins, like, what? The Marlins like decided that they're just going to go out and fucking rage and not wear masks and not socially distance and not do everything that we've been asking people to do for the past fucking four goddamn months. And they all got COVID and they spread it. They came to the ballpark and tested positive. And Mattingly is like, you get out there and you have yourself a, a, a ball game. Like all around just failures, fail, fail, fail across the board. And so then the Phillies were in jeopardy of having it, and then they had postponed the Yankees game. It just had a ripple effect. It's going to have a ripple effect. So the the, the Marlins just are currently at two and one. I think they're on pause until like Sunday. 
I don't know how they're gonna make up. So they gotta make up Saturday, Friday, three, seven. I mean, they gotta make up like four or five games, I think. If that's if the if they're unpaused on Sunday. I don't even know if that'll happen, but um and we we got a like a four game set with them coming up, a series coming up with them. So I don't even know if that's gonna happen. But I don't know. I I don't know. I the more I think about it, it's like, I don't know how they're going to pull off this season. This season is no longer about who is the best team uh, winning ball games against other teams. It's who can survive coronavirus. <laughs> who is smart enough to keep safe and healthy and you then win the Corona series. It's no longer about beating your opponent and scoring the most runs and limiting runs and playing offense and defense. It's about not getting coronavirus. And the last team to withstand that and not get coronavirus, you were the World Series champion. You were the world champions. <laughs> it's it's like you need to beat coronavirus. That's the only thing you need. To, that's the only team you need to beat coronavirus. Uh, I mean, it's just a wacky season. Like Major League Baseball expands playoffs to 16 games and eight wild card series. Uh, top two teams in each division will make the playoffs. So that's six per league. And then the two teams with the best records in their league that did not finish in the top two of their division will also make the playoffs, which I also don't hate. I mean, there've been plenty of times you look back over the the years, like in the eighties with the Mets, it's like they had better records than the guys, the division winners that were going to the playoffs should have been in. Um, and you could, you could make an argument that like, Oh, certain divisions are tougher than others. And like, uh, you know, there needs to be, there almost needs to be like a weighted record strength of schedule factored in. But then it's like, I don't know, you got to be like a fucking statistician to figure that out. Um, so eight teams per league will make the postseason. Uh, which, if I look at day to day, Mets were three and three and they were a wild card as of yesterday. They lost three. They're now three and four, but I think they're still a wild card. I don't know. Um, and like a Gary Cohen said, like it just, it kind of devalues, it really devalues the regular season where you have teams that have losing records getting in the playoffs and you don't want to reward that. Like, I, I think that happens in the NBA. And it's just like, what, why, why, like, how is this? You should at least have a winning record to go to the playoffs. Um, so according to ESPN's Jeff Passan, Passan, I don't know. Here's how playoff seeding will be determined. One seeds one through three will be division winners selected based on record or seeded based on record. Four through six will be the second place finishers based on record. Seven and eight will be the best records among non-first or second place finishers seeded based on record. So I don't know. I mean, the Mets have a good shot if they, if they, you know, not a great week to start off on. I know that when we were coming into this, I said that I think they could get off to a hot start because the Braves were not at full strength. I said that Marquecas had opted out and now he's opted back in, which is a thing. I didn't know that. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess, I don't know, the Marlins, We hopefully we can beat. If we can't beat the Marlins when half, the half their squad has COVID, then it's like, let's just fucking hang it up. Let's just push. Let's just forfeit and go to 2021 and lose all of our pitchers. 
so the playoffs. First round of the playoffs will be a best of three, all games at the home park of the top four seeds. That's interesting. I think that's kind of cool. All games at home for the top four seeds. I like it. Second round will be a best of five. Third round, best of seven. Fourth round, best of seven. So, I guess the Mets can make it, but it's like, can you imagine if we like win the World Series in a 60 game regular season with everyone getting COVID, the Marlins not even playing, and our regular season record is like, <laughs> it's like 25 and 35. <laughs> That yeah, you know, I'd love to see how the baseball hall of fame sets up that exhibit. <laughs> um I mean, at this point, it's like who gives a shit? Just like this is funny at this point. So opening night, we had the 1-0 win over the Braves. Cespedes hits a home run and everyone's like, he's back. I mean, me especially. I was like, he's back. And then now he's gone like fucking he was uh entering yesterday's game. He was two of 15 with eight strikeouts. And I think he struck out like two or three more times the next game. And then he struck out another couple times tonight. So he almost has like more strikeouts than at bats at this point. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder like how long you let this go. If you're Louis, Louis Rojas, like how, how long do you let it go? Like as long as he's hitting a home run every two or three games, is that worth it? I mean, they're always solo shots, which sucks. So I don't know. At some point, you know, Dom Smith has the most RBIs on the on the fucking team, and he's not even a starter. Maybe you just slot Dom Smith in as DH and let it ride. I mean, at some point, Rojas has got to say, uh, maybe he doesn't have to. Maybe he's like, this season's fucked anyway. Who cares? Like, I'm just gonna run these. I'm gonna run Cespedes and Cano into the ground. Uh, this will be their last hurrah. And then 2021, I'll make I'll I'll make some moves. 2021, I will not favor Cespedes and Cano because I was like, hey, I did it in 2020 and he stunk. Yeah, gone. Um, I mean, at some point you got to say like they're they're really hurting our chances of winning. I mean, Cespedes has been in multiple opportunities with runners in scoring position and uh, hasn't even put the ball in play, dude. So, yeah. Got to start thinking about it. Uh, that was a weird win, though. The Grom goes five and we get the win. What? Of course, he gets a no decision, obviously. But Lugo and Wilson look good in that game. And even Edwin Diaz looked good in that game. But that was about it. For, lo- for the bullpen looking good. Braves won 5-3. Uh, next game, this is where Edwin Diaz came back down, crashed down to earth, crashed back down to earth. Uh, and a ball flames. We had a, we had a, what, 2-1 lead, I think. Yeah, 2-1. And he, he blows, he blows the save. Uh, Braves end up tying it, go to extras. The extra innings rule has been debated, hotly contested since this happened. You put a runner on second, and with the Mets, that's like an automatic run for the team. <laughs> but Hunter Strickland ends up with the loss because he can't, he can't bear down, can't bear down. Um, but yeah, Diaz stinks. 
my God, he stinks. And Hunter Strickland has been DFA'd. DFA'd or just released? I don't know. He's no longer with the team. Uh, we then get trounced on national TV. Rick Porcello looks like garbage. Cannot, has zero control, and uh, has an e- early exit. And uh, I think Oswald comes in and he gets lit up. So that was cool. Then we go to Fenway and we win 7-4. Michael Waka 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 looks pretty good. Gives us five five plus solid innings. Um, so that was nice. Offense comes alive. The offense came alive the next day. Another 8-3 win. Now we get to see David Peterson. So it looks like David Peterson goes, you know, five-ish innings and looks pretty good. So it looks like the back end of the rotation. I mean, the rotation for the most part looks good, minus Porcello. The first, the first go round, DeGrom looks, I mean, DeGrom looks somehow is better than he was. Unbelievable. And he's, he now has two no decisions and two starts, <laughs> par for the course. Matt's even looks good. You know, he held uh, the Braves in check, he held the, the Sox in check. You know, you can't ask for more out of Matt's, especially at home. Where he struggled last year. Um, it's just Porcello has got to get his act together. But Waka and Peterson, I mean, five plus solid ball. That's that's all we need. I mean, uh, you know, obviously we'd love more considering our bullpen is just like erratic. But uh, and then you know we come back to. We come back to City Field and we we drop both. Six five yesterday, uh, Wednesday, and then uh, three uh, was it? Uh, whatever they lost today too. You know, Christian Vasquez just decides to be a fucking all all world type player. Never heard of him in my life, but all of a sudden he's just clutch hits left and right. Um. I mean, we should have we should have won yesterday, and then we had chances to win tonight too. Like yesterday, uh, Wednesday, you know, Degrom had the lead. He throws a fantastic pitch. I mean, literally, you could not paint the black any better than this motherfucker. Umpire does not call strike three. And like the very next pitch or later in the sequence, dude hits double, run scores, uh, and then that the dude on second eventually scores. You know, it's two runs that I will officially in my book charge the ump. Shouldn't have happened. So that's two runs that shouldn't have happened, and we end up losing six five. I mean, Jesus, dude. Base is loaded. Bottom of the ninth. Heart of our lineup up. No outs. Conforto strikes out. Cespedes strikes out. Cano, soft liner, out. Dude. I don't know. For all the talk about how we're like, I, I get so amped when I see our lineup card I mean, there's little complaints here and there, but it looks so good uh, when they put it up, that graphic up with the lineup every day. 
Because you look at it and you're like, I mean, McNeil is a batting average champion. Alonzo is the home run champion. Uh, Rosario got hot in the second half last year. He's like seventh in hits. Uh, I mean, Conforto, his OPS was over nine, almost 900. And, but like KFC says with Barstool, he's like, we keep thinking about Cespedes as 2015 Cespedes. And that was five fucking years ago. And 2016, he was good, but he also had some injuries. And then he shit the bed in the in the wild card game. And in 2017, hurt. 2018, out. 2019, out. So like you know, he has not been a productive player in fucking four years, like three and a half, four years. <sighs> so you keep, I keep looking at him like this is 2015 Cespedes, and it's not. But still, McNeil, Rosario, Alonso, Conforto, Nimmo, dude. I don't know why Nimmo doesn't get more credit. There was like MVP talk a couple of years ago. And JD Davis, who who his numbers last year were phenomenal. And it's like they just cannot put it together, especially when DeGrom's on the mound. So mind-blowing. Um Yeah, I mean that 6-5 loss was just heartbreaking. Lugo giving up the home run. Wilson giving up three. People are saying he's he was overworked. Lugo back to back days. You know, it's like we have we have Familia and Batansis. You have Batansis ready to go. Why are you putting in Wilson? <laughs> I don't know. Edwin Diaz has to be done now. He has to be done. Matt's had another solid outing tonight. Uh sorry, Thursday night. And we just can't manufacture runs. Can't do it. And then we're only down 3-2. And then Diaz comes in in the ninth and the bases are loaded and he hits a guy to bring in a run. Like, figure it out, dude. What the fuck happened to you? (laughs) The Mets starting pitchers through two games. 11 innings pitched. One run, three hits, two walks, 15 Ks, two no decisions. That's DeGrom and Mats. So if this is the Mats we're going to get, hell yeah, dude. I'm all about it. Also, how about DeGrom hitting 101 on the fucking gun? Fastest pitch of his career. And I watched that pitch, and it was like, whoa. Whoa, so effortless. And I don't know how you hit that. And yet these guys, these batters are still fouling off pitches. Remember when you watched Major League with Wild Thing Ricky Vaughn and he goes up against that big bad dude from the Yankees, a fat dude with a goatee. And he's hitting like 98, 99 and he ends up hitting up 100 and the dude couldn't even touch it. Couldn't even, like, put some wind on it. And now, like, DeGrom's hitting 100 and 101, and these these dudes are just, like, fouling it off, foul off, foul off. But then you see someone like Kyle Hendricks, who, like, barely cracked 89, like, flawless victory. Amazing. It gives me hope for a comeback. I'm, I'm coming back. 
so I forget who t- tweeted this, but David P- David Peterson's velocity plays quote unquote plays up because of his elite extension. Um, he's six foot six left lefty who release he releases pitches at an average of seven foot one inch in front of the rubber, which is tied for nineteenth among four hundred and forty seven players. So his perceived velocity hits ninety six, even though he was probably clocking around ninety three. Um, he averaged 92.3 miles per hour in a sinker. The Grom, his changeup was like 90 something. <laughs> that blows my mind. These mother, these, these dudes are throwing cha- circle changeups, like double digits faster than I can throw a fastball or that I could throw a fastball on my peak. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. Mets all-time home run leaders. I feel like the top of this list, the top five to six of this list makes sense. It's like, yeah, I rattled it off and you're like, yeah, that, okay. Sounds about right. Strawberry, straw with 252, right with 242. Uh, Piazza, 229. Hojo, 192. Kingman, 154. Beltron, 149. Here's where it gets a little funky Lucas Duda at number seven with 125 a little bit of an eye-opener Todd Hunley at 124 I mean he had 41 in a season Kevin McReynolds at 122 Edgardo Alfonso at 120 Ed Cranepool 118 Michael Conforto 110 uh I mean I really hope Conforto they managed to strike a deal with him and he, he sticks around to, to crack to at least surpass Duda. I mean, I'm a big Duda guy. I'm a, I love Lucas Duda, but, um, Conforto has the opportunity to be, a lot of people think he, he might be the next David Ray. I don't, I don't know about that, but, um, I do, I do, I would like to see him be a life a lifer, lifetime met and, and, and threaten Beltran. For that number six spot, you want to talk about home run numbers? Cespedes was two. Uh, Cespedes hit his thirtieth home run at City Field. I don't know if this was, I think this was the first home run he had, not the second, but that tied him for six most home runs hit at City Field by a Met. And I, I, I'm going to say these two names, and I don't think you're going to believe me, but I, I take it for fact because the tweet I got it from the the tweeter who sent it out who tweeted it. Pretty legit dude, so I don't see why he would lie. He's tied for six most home runs hit at City Field by Met with Ike Davis and Asdrubal Cabrera. Does that strike anyone as just like what? Considering I just rattled off like Lucas Duda and Michael Conforto. Like I rattled those two names off and they're not, I guess they're higher up. Yeah, they'd be higher up, but six as Drupal Cabrera and Ike Davis. I mean, Ike had that one monster season where he hit 30 some odd. Well, yeah, I guess he hit 30 some odd home runs. That would make sense. But as Drupal Cabrera, I didn't think he had it in him. 30 home runs at City Field. We only had him for like two years, right? Three years. I don't know. Uh, 
Jed Lowry has been officially diagnosed with PCL laxity, which I didn't even bother looking this up because it just sounds ridiculous. And, I, you know, Jed, at this point, I love you, man. I hope you get better. Whatever you got going on with your body, I hope it gets better. Because you, like, it's just comical at this point. Like, I've never heard of PCL last laxity in my life. And my dad was a doctor. It's like that thoracic whatever syndrome that Matt Harvey had. Never heard of that before that happened. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't sound good. I tweeted that it sounds, PCL laxity sounds like a chill lacrosse cult in Cali. It's just like, I don't, you know, I don't know how to handle that. <clears throat> and um, with Eduardo Nunez going down, which I didn't even get to see. So I didn't even get to watch the end of the game on Saturday or Sunday. The Sunday game, I just tuned out because they were getting blown out. But I guess Eduardo Nunez got hurt. And so they end up select. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of rules in baseball. I don't get. They selected the contract of Brian Dozier, who apparently they signed during summer camp. Okay. And they designated uh, Hunter Strickland for assignment. So curious move because it's like, how many fucking infielders do you want or need? J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, Rosario Cano. Jimenez, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo. I mean, your entire team is infielders at this point. Uh, it's so bizarre. And he started tonight. Okay. I didn't even know he was on the fucking team and he started. It's curious to me that you would insert a guy that you just signed at second base. Like, granted, okay, Dozier was from 2013, 2014 to 2017. Legit. I mean, he was an all-star. Golden Glover, MVP candidate, all those great things, putting up numbers like 20 to 30 plus home runs, upper 70, 80, 90s RBIs, and then uh, went to the Dodgers and eventually the Nats from the Twins. And, uh, you know, has kind of faded in a lot of respects. He's 32, 33. What's going on here? I mean, Jimenez got his first Major League Baseball hit. First triple. I mean, he got picked off. <laughs> so that happened. But, like, first stolen base. You know, promising young prospect in his early 20s. Uh, wouldn't you rather give him playing time at second in a shortened season where it's like, this is just, everything's so, like, fouled up to begin with. Like, might as well just give him some time. And Brian Dozier? I don't know. It seems odd to me that they would not only select him, but then start him, insert him into the lineup. I guess he's like, he's pretty, uh, he's got some pretty decent numbers against lefties, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know what he did tonight, but um, it's so odd that we, you know, these older like we're just infested with older infielders who refuse to retire. Jed Lowry, Brian Dozier, Robinson Cano. Ugh. And at some point you just gotta move on. You know what I'm saying? So maybe Rojas has the balls. Cause I mean, they, they showed a graphic tonight where it's like Rojas has managed a lot of these younger guys in the minors. McNeil, Alonzo, uh, a few others. Jimenez maybe. 
Um, so it's like, I wonder how much leash he's going to give the older guys like Cano and Cespedes. Uh, I don't know. Cespedes is at like 80% right now. So it's kind of hard to tell if they could make a move. You know, I was thinking, you know, put Davis at third, put McNeil at second, Cano, DH, Cespedes left field. But I, you know, it, it to me, it sounds like that's just Cespedes is, is not ready for that. Can't handle it. But eventually, I mean, you're hurting your ball club. Like if Smith is leading the team in RBIs, you got to reward him and start giving him some starts at DH. Maybe even put him at first and let Alonzo DH since he's he's had some troubles here and there defensively. I mean, McNeil has been super struggling defensively. Let me see if I can find the stat. Uh, he committed his fourth error in six games. He only committed one error in 154 and a third innings at third base last season. So, you know, he's out of position. And then people are saying that Alonzo is being affected by his his offensive woes, and that's carrying over into the field. I don't know. It's going to be a lot of experimenting in this first. I mean, how much? I don't know. You got to find your groove quicker than later. You only got so many games. We now have 53 games left. So it's like you know, you know. I guess try as many combos as you can, you know, and just figure it out. Whatever's clicking, stick with it. Um, him and I mean, him and is it second Rosario? Where do you got? Where do you put him in as though? I don't know. At least Rojas has got some defensive measures. It seems like when he has the lead late. He's definitely going to more defensively sound players, which is nice to see. Um, <laughs> JD Davis is so funny, though. Like, what a ridiculous home run at Fenway off the pesky pole! Like, that was that was just like a a, a foul ball. <laughs> it was just like a he did not he did not get any of it, any kind of meat on the bat. Didn't really connect with it. And that's like, you just hear it crash off the pole. And it's like, uh, I guess that's a home run. And then him like diving back to first with the grunt. Oh, the, the booth love that Gary, Ron and, and Keith. So, uh, I guess we'll take a look ahead. You got, uh, you're in Atlanta tomorrow night. I don't know. I guess it's a loss. Who do we got going? Porcello. That's a loss. Braves again in Atlanta. Four game series in Atlanta. Ugh. We stink on Sundays. That's a loss. I mean, I'd be happy if we're coming out of that two and two. I don't. I mean, maybe what you got? What Porcello? Then Waka Peterson, and I guess on Monday you would have Degrom again. So I take two and two. Love three and one. Marcakis is coming back. Uh, what the fuck? And then we have the the Nats for two in Washington, which I guess they're they're clicking on all cylinders. 
And then there's the Marlins. Like, I don't even know. I mean, I guess the, the pause will stop, will come unpaused on Sunday, but what if it isn't? I would hate to be like the schedule maker <laughs> right now. There's so much, there's so much shifting going on. Um, but yeah, it's the Mets. Let's go, Mets go. But Jesus Christ, wake up the bats. Find out the secret combination because we don't got much time. All right, let's talk about the NFL and the Giants. Uh, of course, like the day that I, I released my last pod episode, uh, the the Redskins changed their names to the, the Washington football team on the same day that the Seattle hockey team, the NHL, new NHL Seattle, the new NHL hockey team in Seattle came out with their name, the Seattle Kraken, which is fucking electric. Such a good name. The uniform is dope. The logo is awesome. I almost want to like call them my new favorite team. <laughs> but then I was like, I guess they true to the devils, but Hey, my West coast team, definitely the Kraken for show. Uh, but then the Redskins came out with like, Hey, we're going to be called the Washington football team. People are like, uh-uh. um, they're going to go the Alabama route and just put the, the player's number on the helmet, which is not a bad look. Although the W I would, I kind of wish they went with the, the new W that they have for Washington, put the W on one side and then put the number on the other. I don't know. Something to think about, but the unis look like Alabama. So I bet Landon Collins is, uh, Happy with that. Um, Mike Garofalo tweeted about the proposed face shields that have been developed with Oakley to prevent the, sc- the spread of COVID. Um, they will be recommended but not required for players. Uh, you can't see this. and Maybe, I don't know, put it in the old vid after, uh, you know, if I have a chance to edit it, which I won't. But interesting drawings and look it doesn't look like it would go over pretty much the face mask it wouldn't go over where the eyes are so i don't know how effective this is but i don't know it's got like a bane type vibe to it not necessarily darth vader interesting hole the the whole structure um okay but let's 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 talk giants lots lots has happened in the world of the big blue they released algic rosas um yeah dude was going allegedly going 100 while drunk and in cali and uh sideswiped hit a truck i think the guy in the truck survived i hope he did and uh there's three misdemeanor charges or something like that um, I'm not going to say like good riddance, but, uh, I mean, he was a, uh, pain in my urethra in 2017. He was unbelievable in 2018 and then he stunk again in 2019. So we got one good year out of him out of the three. He wrote a very nice message after he was released and, and showed his gratitude and appreciation, which was, which was nice, but it's like, dude, what 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 happened? And this goes back to like every time I talked about Rosas uh, last year, it's like it feels like there's something mentally or psychologically not right with him that 
there's some some other issue off the field that's causing him to to cause him to not focus or something. I don't know. It just always felt like there was something. It was not there was something going on that affected his play on the field because it certainly wasn't his physicality. A very physically fit dude, big, powerful, strong leg. Um, it just was like a mental thing, and it, there's something else affecting him and off the field that is he's bringing onto the field that allows that just won't allow him to to hone in. So, um, bon voyage, adios, Algic Rosas, no mas Rosas, as a, a barstool commenter pointed out. Um, and they ended up signing Chandler Canizero, I think that's how you pronounce it, who missed like three extra points against us in a preseason game. So looking forward to that. Of course, everyone thought that Steve Goskowski was going to be the replacement because of his connection with Joe Judge. And I was like, yeah, easy, easy peasy. Let's do it. Sign him. And then we go with Chandler. It's like, what are we not, what is, what are we not knowing about Goskowski? Seems like such a slam dunk move. What's going on with him? It must be the, the injury he had must be more severe or serious than he's letting on. Uh, so we don't have to worry about Rosas anymore, but now we got Canizaro, which I'm not exactly uh, lighting fireworks for. DeAndre Baker is also on the commissioner's exempt list, which doesn't sound good. <laughs> I had to look it up. The exempt list is a special player status available for for clubs only in unusual circumstances. The list includes those players who have been declared by the commissioner to be temporarily exempt from counting with the active list limit. Only the commissioner has the authority to place a player on the exempt list. Clubs have no such authority or and no, no exemption regardless of circumstances. Uh, I'm continuing the deems should be lifted and the players return the active list. So he basically can't participate in anything. So uh, it seems like his time with the Giants is over, which would basically put him down as the, I would have to say he's the biggest bust, uh, biggest bust in Giants history. You think about what we gave up for him, trading back into the first round to get him, giving up those picks, not getting much out of him in this first season, and then he's basically he only gave us one season and it was a shitty season. <laughs> we had to like, you know, we had to rotate, rotate him with other players. And, uh, yeah. So Jesus Christ, Deandre Baker, what the actual F <sighs> man, that hurts. You know, say what you will about like Eric flowers. At least he gave us a few seasons, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, um, where we thought he could be the guy. We gave him uh, plenty of opportunities. I mean, I, I'm sure we could probably could have moved him in, into guard where he is with, uh, or he was with Washington and he, and he did better. But uh, Eli Apple, I would say we got what one year out of him. Two years, one and a half years out of him, but we didn't have to trade up for him. So yeah, I put Baker as like the number one bust. Although I'm sure there are plenty of other players that we drafted high that didn't pan out, but we didn't give up a, a ton for them. Oh boy. Uh, Nate Solder opted out of the 2020 season. 
Understandably so. I mean, I'm not going to knock. I'm not going to knock players for opting out of the season. Dude has a family. He has a child who's uh, immunodeficient. I guess is the way you could put it. I didn't. I didn't even know that Soldier had cancer at one point. I think I read that he had cancer at one point. So it's like, yeah, dude. You know, you got to look out for your family and your safety first. So, not. Uh, I have no qualms about it. And um, he, uh, I don't know who this reported this, but he qualifies for the high risk opt out, which means he gets three hundred fifty thousand dollars for this season, um, which is just an advance off his twenty twenty one salary. So he still has. Um, he was scheduled to make six point five million in twenty twenty, and he still has two years left on his contract. So originally it was supposed to be this year and next year, and then twenty twenty two were were free and clear of uh, Nate the Great. Uh, people are saying now though, we can use that salary extra salary cap to make a move for someone like Jadavian Clowney. I don't see that happening. I mean, it would be nice, but I don't see it happening. yeah and but from what I'm reading it seems like the salary cap is going to lower substantially for 2021 so it's we're we're almost better off like not making a move and saving it to for next year although I mean would it hurt to just dangle the carrot to Logan Ryan? Would it hurt? I mean, I understand pass rush is a is a huge issue, but you don't know what you're gonna get with Fackrell. The combination of Fackrell and Zimenez and Golden, potentially Zoe. I don't know. Um, you just don't know what you're gonna get with that combo. So, would you rather overspend on Clowney for a year? Or would you rather pick up Logan Ryan for a year? I don't know. I'd I'd go with Ryan, safer bet. So what does that mean for offensive line? Uh, I think most people agree that Andrew Thomas will slot in at left and left tackle, and then <clears throat> you have a, a battle royale between Kim Fleming, Matt Parrott, and Nick Gates at right tackle. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Nick Gates, people are saying he would be slotted in at center, but now it's like he's competing for right tackle. I, I can't imagine what that's doing to his psyche. I mean, I, I, don't know the, I don't know the guy, but Jesus. Okay, so I got to study and prepare to be a center or a right tackle. <laughs> I mean, that organization is high on him, and he's done pretty well, all things considered. Undrafted free agent. But, whew, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Would love to see Matt Parrott like develop way faster. I mean, people are calling him developmental and saying he's like two or three years away. So, like to just to put him in at right tackle and and have him start. Um, I'd much rather see, you know, I I have a feeling they're gonna give they're gonna give the nod to Cam Fleming, with Parrott backing up, or with Gates backing up. And then center is still a goddamn black hole. But I think Shane Lemieux can plug it. Hey, you. All right, let's talk about these uh, PFF rankings. So I've been doing it uh, week over week. Last week we did 
linebackers, D-line, and wide receivers. Week before that, I think we did. Huh. Oh, we just did best and worst case scenario. So we're, we're kind of going through the positions for pro football focused rankings. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, folks. The secondary rankings, we're not doing well. <laughs> our defense, PFF does not think highly of our defense. But like I said towards the end of last episode, uh, you know, continue to underestimate us, continue to think that we're bottom of the barrel and we're gonna surprise you. I mean, like I said, our defense tends to operate at a fairly nice level for like three quarters of the game. It's just like the the one quarter where they just completely shit the bed. You know? Anyway, we're we're ranked 27. <laughs> so uh James Bradbury. Um yeah. James Bradbury. He's kind of our marquee. Uh, you know, Baker is not gonna factor into things. A lot of people thinking that Sam Beal is gonna be the 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 starting corner opposite of uh a Bradbury. You, I would have to give the, I would think that Darnay Holmes is probably the favorite as the slot corner. I also think that, you know, there was a, there was a poll that, that came out from one of the giants accounts I follow. Who's going to have the most interceptions. I think it's going to be Darnay Holmes. Cause I think, I don't, I don't think a lot of teams are catching on to what happened with him in college. The fact that he had the injury last year. And when he was not, when he was healthy the year before, he was like an elite corner, you know, top of his game. Um, and then, uh, I guess you would have Ballantyne compete with Beal on the outside, and then Chris Williams, Chris Williamson, the the Gopher, will back up Darnay Holmes in the slot. They also mentioned Montre Hartage, but I don't, I don't see him making. Making waves. Grant Haley was our slot corner in 2019. Um, and he was, uh, he, opposing passers had a rating of 114.2 when he was targeted. Uh, but they has gone, obviously. Julian Love uh, will compete for the free safety. So Julian Love, yeah, I mean, Julian Love is another big question mark. Do you put him at safety or corner? Um I think Xavier McKinney is is the clear heads upon what is that fucking expression? Head over heels? Nah. You know what I'm saying. Clear favorite to be the starter opposite Jabril Peppers. Uh of course people are comparing McKinney to Isaiah Simmons, Isaiah Simmons, which is always nice. Um they're saying like, so they're lumping love in with the safeties. And I honestly think that he has a chance to play corner. So whether it's, I mean, do you put Darnay home? Maybe you say to Darnay Holmes, Hey, we we're going to give you a shot in the outside. And then you put Julian love on the slot. Do you put Julian love outside and put Holmes in the slot? I just, the, the legend of Sam Beal continues to like grow and grow, and grow. We've been hearing about this dude for so long and he got some playing time last year and he didn't really wow split time with Baker and people think that Beal is going to be the guy. But, uh, I mean, Holmes is the, is the name. And maybe I just got too hyped by that friggin' video that came out with him and Jabril peppers. But I, I have a lot of faith in Holmes. I think Holmes is going to be, uh, open some eyes and be a starter. 
And I think Julian Love, you have to get him on the field in some some way. So I don't think he's going to lose snaps or lose time this year. Grant Haley is the odd man out, in my opinion, unfortunately. Unless they decide that Haley is going to be like the run-stopping in run situations you put him in the game at uh, in the secondary. Um, I could see that happening maybe. Uh, right below us in the secondary rankings is, is the Washington football team. Uh, Quentin Dem- Dunbar, who's their top corner, went to Seattle, and I guess I would assume he's got to be on the exempt list as well because he was, I think he's the dude with DeAndre Baker, if I'm right. So they lose Dunbar. They got Collins. Um, you know, Pro Football Focus said that he's yet to recapture that form that made him a defensive player of the year candidate with the Giants but he is at worst a solid starter. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot against us, I don't think. They also picked up Ronald Darby from the Eagles and Kendall Fuller from the Chiefs, which are names that I recognize, but I don't think they're going to make a huge impact there. So um, we have the opportunity to match up well with them in the passing game if we can protect this house. Number 22 is the Cowboys. Uh, at safety, they have Xavier Woods with possibly HaHa Clinton Dix or uh, Darian Thompson. There's a name that should ring a bell. Uh, I always thought HaHa Clinton Dix was far, far and away a better player than Darian Thompson, but I don't know. Um, obviously, they lost Byron Jones. So uh, that's another team that we should we should have some success against in the passing in through the air. And then number 12 is the Eagles, which I think is just much like their wide receivers. You know, and this is where PFF gets a little funky and weird. It's like you were just saying in our best and worst case scenarios, you were just saying that the secondary and the wide receivers are, a, are like wild cards that you're not sure what you're getting, but you're ranking them higher than, us much higher than other teams at the wide receiver and secondary position. So like, yeah, you picked up Darius Slay, but is he, is he the same Darius Slay that he was in his prime? Probably not. Then you, they rattle off a bunch of names. I don't know. And then they have nickel, nickel Roby Coleman and the slot who they got from the Rams and Jalen Mills will move to safety. So Slay Coleman Mills, you just have to figure out that other corner position. Um, but I mean, you know, Eli Manning came back and lit him up uh, last year. I think they're susceptible. So 12 seems awfully high, dude. What about backfield? Running backs, the running back units. How do, how do we rank there? This is like the only, <laughs> the only group that is ranked highly. We're at number 10. So uh, obviously it's most of that is due to Saquon Barkley. But uh, they do mention that Deion Lewis is coming off of 59.8 overall grade with the Titans, which is a career low mark. Not great. <laughs> um, and then we also have Wayne Gallman, who's in the last year of his contract. So who knows how he performs, knowing that he could have a big payday if he if he plays well. What I'm not loving about our setup here is like Barkley Lewis Gallman. Barkley has been criticized 
repeatedly for his pass blocking abilities. Like, who is the pass blocker in this mix? Is it Gallman? Is it Lewis? How are we how are we using Gallman? Like Lewis, I guess, is a change of pace back who's mostly a, a pass catching back. But I mean, Barkley's a, a pretty good pass catching back as well. As is Gallman. So I don't know. I don't you know, I keep thinking back to like Thunder and Lightning and Earth, Wind and Fire and like units like that where it's like, okay, Brandon Jacobs is the Punisher and Derek Ward is kind of, uh, has a little bit of speed and, and power. And the same with, you know, Bradshaw is hard to tackle because he's smaller and he's more elusive and whatnot. How does this unit gel and come together? And like, do you use, how do you use them in certain spots and different spots? The, the article did not mention Elijah Penny, who is like, I know I've said this before, but he's like one of my favorite Giants running backs. <laughs> I feel like they did not use him correctly under Shermer, and I hope that Garrett is able to utilize him more um, this season. Of course, we also have John Hilleman and Javon Leak on the roster. Hilleman's a Rutgers product. I think he's year two. He had that devastating fumble against the Patriots that swung the game, the momentum. And then Javon Leak is an undrafted free agent from Maryland who I've heard good things. I don't know. What's What really sours my puss is that the Colts are ranked above us. Who are the fucking Colts running backs? Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines? I don't know. They're really a top 10 unit? We'll see about that. Number 26 is the Washington football team, uh, which seems, I got to give them credit, it seems a little low. Adrian Peterson, Darius Geis, Bryce Love, J.D. McKissick, and Peyton Barber. You could do worse. Uh, number 20 is the Eagles, which I also think is low. Miles Sander, Boston Scott, and Corey Clement, all of which have burned us on multiple occasions. So Miles Sanders is... Uh, a pretty dynamic player. Boston Scott shows he has some move and Corey Clement still has got something in the tank. So very weird that they're ranked 20th. And then number three is the Cowboys because of Ezekiel Elliott, which go F your Y dude. Why? Like what? Tony Pollard and Elliott. Like those are the two guys that are going to put you at number three. The only reason Elliott's any good is because he has the best offensive line in the fucking game. You put him behind the Giants offensive line and he's not doing what Barkley does. So get out of here with that nonsense. Cowboys don't Cowboys running backs don't deserve to be number three. Elliot will be donezo before Barkley. There I said it. Um backup quarterbacks. PFF ranked them. <laughs> this is like, I don't know. They were just searching for content at this point, but Giants were ranked 18th. Our backups are Colt McCoy, Cooper Rush, Alex Tanny, Case Cookus. Uh, McCoy seems destined to stick around the NFL until he's good and ready to retire. Ten-year veteran hasn't won a start since 2014. He's the type of solid enough quarterback with an A-plus name to continue to rack up checks to deep into his 30s. Huh. Huh. Um, yeah, we'll have to see about McCoy if, if Jones goes down. I'm not I'm not worried with him, you know, taking snaps. 
I would be, yeah. I mean, I'd be a lot more worried if Alex Tanney had to go in. Although people underestimate Alex Tanney as well. Trick shot quarterback, my man. Um, Washington football team is 20th. They have Kyle Allen and Steven Montez. Remember, I remember reading reports that Kyle Allen was like the hidden gem in the draft. And he was going to be like surprise so many people. It's like, what are you doing now, dude? Eagles are at number 10 with Jalen Hurts, Nate Sutfield, and Kyle, <laughs> Kyle Lalletta. Kyle Lalletta. And then uh, the Cowboys are at three with Andy Dalton, which makes, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, should be a starter, but he's not. Now, PFF also ranked the the starting quarterbacks, but they didn't do it by number. They did it by tiers, which is such a cop-out. So they have four tiers. Tier one, tier two, tier, tier three, tier four. Tier one is two dudes, okay? And they classify tier one as high-end quarterbacks who can carry a team. High percentage of positively graded plays, limit negatively graded throws, most likely to achieve high-end passing production, no matter supporting cast. Two dudes, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, which, I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree with. Although, I mean, you can't discount Tyreek Hill when talking about – and, I mean, you're, you're kind of discounting the effect that um, Hill has along with the tight end that they have. Jesus Christ, how do I not remember him? Wow, that's sad. The tight end. He's really good. So, I mean, it's not like Russell Wilson I could understand more because he hasn't really had the weapons that Mahomes has had, I think. So, interesting that they would put Mahomes in that tier. Tier two are quarterbacks who are more likely to elevate the teammates and achieve top-end production, even with lesser supporting casts. Good chance to rank among the top eight with uh, or even finish as the top signal caller in any given year. And this group includes six QBs. That's Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. How you put Matt Ryan in this category is interesting. Super interesting. And did they not put Matt Stafford in this tier? I guess they didn't. Um, I didn't include all the names in tier three or tier four. But tier three is volatile or conservative quarterbacks who will rely even more heavily on supporting cast and play calling, uh, can post top 10 production in any given year in the right situation. And this is where Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz sit, which, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty spot on. Um, so I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, they had Joe motherfucking Burrow in this tier. Dude hasn't taken a snap in an NFL game. And this dude is in tier three. We'll see about that. I mean, yeah, the Bengals did a hell of a job getting them some weapons in, in the draft, but like, really? Okay. Um, and then tier four, bottom tier. These are quarterbacks with more question marks, either due to lack of experience or seeing them perform at a high level in the NFL or due to volatility when given extended opportunities to play. 
And this is where Daniel Jones is, which I can see how you can say he was tier four. Based on that description, I can see why they put him in this tier based on last year, just strictly on the turnovers and ability to get rid of the ball and not take sacks. Okay. But in this tier, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, Sam Darnell, Sam Darno, Josh Allen. Guys that I just know Daniel Jones is better than Dwayne Haskins. Tier three had Baker Mayfield. Daniel Jones is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Boom. Said it. So I think you're going to see Jones come out and have, uh, I was almost going to say MVP year, but he'll have a better year than Baker Mayfield. I know that much. <laughs> so those are the PFF rankings for quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, running backs in the secondary. Yet again, um, we're being underrated and underestimated. And I like being the underdog because the only way to go is up. So, um, I think the Mets make the playoffs. I think, you know, it's hard, it's hard to just base an entire season off one week of action seeing that, but like plenty of opportunities. They're in they're in a good place to win. They're in opportunities to win. They're they're putting themselves in a place to win most of these games. These are winnable games, but it comes down to one or two plays, uh a closer, not getting a call, etc. So, I'm not Panic City with the Mets yet. With the Giants. Would have been nice to have like a normal training camp with a lot of new players. You got young young players who need time to gel and whatnot. But we're going to see. We're going to see. Them come together live in real time week one. (laughs) So uh, we'll probably have a better sense of what the Giants are in week five. I'd say, and hopefully we're not owned for by that time. So that's the show. Um, I will see or feel or hear or taste you guys next week. Adios, muchachos.